0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, They've dropped
1: in words like Lodestar to indicate that it might be Mike Pence, and words like First Principles, very common to the speeches that General Mattis gives them. And then they dropped in that off-the-rails comment that comes from the B- Woodward book that's attributed to General Kelly. Language of the op-ed I think is useless to look at because it's a ghostwriter. It did not start with Donald Trump.
2: He is a symptom, not the cause. He's just capitalizing on resentments that politicians have been fanning for years.
3: It's really a trifecta. I mean, you start out with a Bob Woodward book, then you go to Anonymous, another attack on the president and his fitness for office, and now uh, you have a third attack in the form of Barack Obama. All of this is very unusual.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Well, welcome to the show. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to Stacy on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Great to be with you. Uh, we have another jam-packed hour of content and good conservative talk. Oh, yeah. So we have, um, we're going to talk about Lindsey Graham and the anonymous op-ed. It's still a, a thing. Uh, Kellyanne Conway has done extensive interviews over the weekend to talk about it. Um, A number, like a huge number of staffers, all the people that have name ID recognition among Americans have already come out and said it wasn't them, Uh, which leads us to believe that it's someone who doesn't have name ID recognition and might not actually be a legitimate top staffer or senior level staffer, but we'll see. There are hundreds of them. So, um, and then we're also going to have Alan West, Colonel Alan West, author, host, pundit, You know, you name it, he's going to be here with us talking about his new book. And then we're going to round out the show with uh, promises made, promises kept. President Trump is shrinking yet another government agency. And yeehaw, I mean, let's do some more of that. Um, That's what I'm talking about. Government that's smaller is better for you and me. So we'll be talking about that. There's been a question that has been put to me many, many times. And that is how, as a Christian, I can support uh, President Trump, who he, you know has he has had a history of infidelity, he has a potty mouth, and he, according to some Americans, have questionable character. And so the first thing I like to do when I, someone asks me that is I, I first want to establish a baseline. So no one in your past political voting blocks, you've never voted for anyone who's ever had a potty mouth. Barack Obama did. So if you voted for him, you voted for someone who had a potty mouth. He was very clean and you know smooth when he was in public, but behind closed doors and in meetings that were later made public, he used the F bomb. He was a prodigious cursor, also a smoker, um, you know, but he did have a clean family history. So at no point in your life, have you ever voted for a politician or a candidate who ever cursed or had any kind of marital issues or any kind of character flaws whatsoever? Because I would love to know who you were voting for, because last I checked, all human beings have character flaws. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. Every one of us. Clothed in white, made righteous through Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But underneath the white robe, why do you think you need it? Because of the stinky, disgusting, dirty, unfathomably bad sin that we're all soaked in. The white robe covers it. makes us white, It makes us right with Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ so that we can approach the Father. That's how that works. So, how are we supporting trump? well i don't know. It could be the religious freedom aspect. It could be that he's pro life. It could be that he promised to get government out of our schools, out of our bathrooms. It could be that he promised to do things that his opponent was going to do more of so there were There were definitely two distinct choices and while Hillary Clinton may not have been a cursor publicly. All of the books about her time in the White House show that she not only cursed the uh, the security guards, the the Secret Service, she she would not only curse them up and down, but she would actually threaten them. She would throw her luggage at them. So if you have a problem with people getting too full of themselves and thinking that they can say anything they want to certain people, then you got a problem with all of Washington, D.C. Because all of them are entitled. All of them have lots of people that they treat like lackeys and none of them are perfect. There aren't any perfect people here in this studio. There aren't any perfect people working all over AFA or AFR or urban. There aren't any perfect people anywhere on this planet. So then it becomes a question of, well, how far is too far? Well, in the Bible, didn't a man after God's own heart, David, also kill a man so he could have his wife? Now, God dealt with him. But are you, are you following me here? The Bible is littered with human beings. The the historical record is littered with human beings that are still, in spite of their sin, in spite of their potty mouths, in spite of their poor decisions, are used by God to accomplish his purposes. And I believe that Barack Obama was used by God to accomplish his purposes. At the time, and still to this day, I I have no idea what those purposes were. But... That is who was the president for eight years. I didn't vote for him. I didn't feel like he was a Christian, that, that he should have been in that office. But he was there. And now Donald Trump is there. And so instead of casting aspersions on Christians who voted for him, I encourage people who don't support Donald Trump to, it, it, this, this isn't about the politics at the end of the day. Yes, you have to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. You have to give to the governing authorities as, as is accorded, In the Bible, we are to participate in the political process, but I would much rather see people go to the Bible, go to the Word of God and figure out what does the Bible say about homosexual, quote unquote, marriage, unions? What does it say about that? Instead of sitting up and talking about, well, you know, he said this or he tweeted that out. How about who did you just vote for? Who are you voting for that agrees with that? Who are you voting for that agrees with infanticide? Who are you voting for that agrees with idolatry, theft, covetousness? I mean, don't just it's it can't just be that the Twitter feed is the only offensive thing on the face of this planet. I think if I'm going to take Donald Trump's Twitter feed on one hand and 958,000 abortions in the year 2016, I think I'm going to say I'm going to vote against 958,000 abortions. And I think that's going to pass muster in the end. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's going to pass muster. So it's not, it's not at all about excusing anything or not being aware of it. It is about the fact that some, a choice has to be made. And I'm going to tell you, you need to be choosing on the side of eternity because that's a mighty long time. The Twitter feed is not forever, but eternity is. So think it through. So now I want to go to the show sheet. We've got Senator Lindsey Graham. He's talking about this book by Woodward and the anonymous op-ed. And he has an interesting point to make about it. It's number
5: three. Here's what I do know, that the op-ed and the book won't matter in 2020. The president will be judged on his results. As to the author of the op-ed piece, they suggest that if it weren't for him and a few others, the president would not be doing good things for the country. Isn't it kind of odd that everything the president's doing, he promised to do during the campaign. He promised to cut taxes. He did. He promised to destroy ISIS. We are. Uh, he promised to nominate people from a list of 25. He's done pick two out of that list. Everything the president promised about deregul- deregulating America, he's delivering on, he promised to uh, uh, rebuild the military. It's kind of odd that everything he's doing, he promised. Here's what I think. Why this op-ed piece now? Uh, The New York Times is the choir director for the left. They set the agenda for the left and the mainstream media. They chose this op-ed piece to start a narrative that Trump is crazy, I think, because the Russia probe is falling apart. The idea that uh, that Trump colluded with Russia, his campaign, is falling apart before our eyes. So I think the New York Times is trying to start a new narrative publishing an op-ed piece from an anonymous source to suggest the president is unhinged this is a effort on their part in my view to start a new storyline because the russia probe storyline is falling apart
4: i mean you know again lindsey graham he hasn't always been my favorite but uh, and he's not he's not my favorite now but he makes a good point when you think about like just for one example just one example of this huge double standard um and and there are so many, but this one example really passes mustard here. Flashback, Obama prosecuted staff leakers and gave lie detector tests. He was, quote unquote, paranoid about the leaks. So when Rand Paul made the suggestion last week that the president should use lie detectors, you know, there was just a, a little murmuring among leftist media. Oh, how could he? How could he subject his staffers to that? That's absolutely ridiculous. They didn't care when, when Obama did it. Obama did not like the leaks that were coming out of his White House. So he put them uh, through all of these rigorous tests. He wasn't going to put up with it. So it portrays an administration gripped by strict policies about information flow and paranoid about leaks across all executive branch departments. That's the US Today, USA Today, talking about the Obama administration. So they had a problem with leakers too. The administration's war on leaks and other efforts to control information are the most aggressive I've seen since the Nixon administration when I was one of the editors involved in the Washington Post investigation of Watergate. The 30 experienced Washington journalists at a variety of news organizations whom I interviewed for this report could not remember any precedent. This is a man named Downey writing in a report that was criticized by Obama administration officials. The campaign was so aggressive it even had a name the Insider Threat Program. So, of course, reading this means that this whole idea that there's some people working inside the administration to subvert the goals of the administration that they work for is not unique, it's not new, it's not fresh. We may be shocked by it. The only thing that's new is the New York Times publishing an anonymous op-ed They wouldn't have published an anonymous op-ed from the Obama administration. Some disgruntled conservative working in the Obama administration submits an anonymous op-ed, they wouldn't have published it. I don't care if it said that aliens were dancing at night and learning how to do um, country and western line dancing. And, you know, every night at about 10 p.m., the aliens came out and they had lessons. They wouldn't have published it. I don't care what that anonymous leaker said. They would have said, you got to go on the record. If you want to be in these pages, you need to be on the record. But they did it against President Trump because they don't they don't care by hook or by crook. They want to see him gone. 25th Amendment, impeachment, whatever they got to do, whatever dance they have to 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 dance, whatever trip they have to take. If they had to be waterboarded beforehand, they would definitely be waterboarded if it meant that when they were done, they lived to see Donald Trump no longer be the president. That's how serious this is. This was a 2013 report. Quote, the insider threat program being implemented through the Obama administration to stop leaks, the first detailed by McClatchkey newspapers, Washington Bureau in late June, has already created internal surveillance, heightened a degree of paranoia in government and made people conscious of contacts with the public advocates and the press. This is according to a prominent transparency advocate named Stephen Aftergood. He was the director of the government secrecy project at the Federation of American Scientists in Washington. They sounded the alarm. They were like, oh my goodness, this is like, you know, these people are really off their rockers about this stuff. But was anything made of it? Did someone say, oh, Obama has leaks. People on the inside of his organization are working against him. It's obvious that he's unfit to be president. He must not be able to control his own staff. He is a threat to this democracy as they keep calling it america is not a democracy we are a representative republic but anyway they didn't say that what where were all the people whining and complaining and oh you can can you believe that president obama is so hated by his own staff he's they're considering using the 25th amendment to remove him no because that would have been racist Any kind of criticism of President Obama was racist. I can't believe how many people. I should have saved each one individually and printed them out. And then made them into like a little stack of three by five cards. And counted them up so I could at least say. If I had a nickel for every time someone called me a racist for criticizing Obama. Then I would have X amount of dollars. I didn't take the time to do that. But it was many, many, many many times. Many, 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 times. Many times. I was called a racist. I would even say. I'm sorry, but I can't be racist against Barack Obama. I'm black. You're not really black. You're an Uncle Tom. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. I'd say Uncle Tom was the hero in the book. He was a Christian. You know what I mean? No, I don't. I'm a reader. I like books. Uncle Tom was the hero. So are you calling me a hero for criticizing Barack Obama or do I really hate myself and I'm, you know, a racist? What is it? What's What's your deal? So when we get back, of Alan West. Stay there.
3: Good news. You are not stuck with your health care plan. Really. You have a choice and it's a great one. It's called Medishare and if you've heard about it and wondered what exactly it is, it's a way that people share their healthcare bills and these are people who have a common faith, who want to be part of something beautiful that not only meets their healthcare needs but the needs of others too and it's people who love to save money big time. Medishare members typically save $500 a month per family on their healthcare costs. That is a life changer for people. So this could be for you. Maybe it's what you've been looking for a way to pay healthcare bills that's not only very smart financially, but it's even profound. Metashare is a nonprofit with 400,000 members nationwide who pray for and share with each other. So, yes, you're not stuck. There's another way, and it could save you a lot. Hit star star three four five to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star three four five.
2: This
0: is Viewpoints
2: with Kirby Anderson. Michael Wang should have been able to get into any college of his choice. He had a perfect score on the ACT and was second in his high school class. He was accomplished musically and even was selected to sing at the inauguration of Barack Obama. Like I said, he should have been able to get into any college. Instead, six out of seven Ivy League schools rejected him. Michael Wang got suspicious when he noticed that other classmates and acquaintances that had less impressive credentials and experiences were admitted. Edward Bloom of the Project for Fair Representation looked into Michael Wang's situation and was able to identify another dozen Asian-American students with similar experiences. That's when he decided to file a lawsuit against Harvard University alleging racial discrimination. Any type of affirmative action plan is going to be, by definition, discriminating against one person in order to advance another person. Many of these college admissions policies, as well as government affirmative action guidelines, advance a minority from one race over a minority from another race that has also faced discrimination. Asian American students would have a greater chance of being admitted to competitive colleges if they were African American or Hispanic. The latest word is the U.S. Justice Department will join the case. The filing argues that Harvard University has a vague admissions policy that results in unlawful racial discrimination on Asian Americans. It is possible that this case might begin to unravel the many affirmative action policies in universities and in state and local governments. By attempting to advance one racial minority, colleges and governments are discriminating against another racial minority. We might be seeing the beginning of the end of affirmative action. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From Universal
1: 1440, Unbroken, Path to Redemption, the rest of World War II hero Louis Zamperini's True Story, in theaters September 14th, rated PG-13.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and
6: Urban Family Talk.
7: These documents were cleared and Cory Booker just was grandstanding. Is that true? Were the documents already clear or were you violating the rules? Like, I don't know.
1: I violated the rules, and I am violating the rules. I am breaking the rules. I am breaking the sham rules. I knowingly violated the rules that were put forth, and I understand the consequences. I am breaking the rule. Number one, last night I broke the rules. Last night, I broke the Senate rules by reading from that email that I did willingly violate the chair's rule. And I understand that, that the penalty comes with potential ousting from the Senate. Uh, I take full responsibility for violating that, sir. Okay, In sir. violation of their sham rules. Bring the charges. So I am violating those laws, I have been all day, and I'm ready to accept the full responsibility for what I have done. I just used that documents last night in violation of procedure. I had already read for them and broke their sham of a rule. And the punishment or contempt. Well. well there, Last night when I broke
3: the rule. he said we cleared the documents last night shortly after Senator Booker's staff asked us to. We were surprised to learn about Senator Booker's histrionics this morning because we'd already told him he could use the documents publicly. And-
1: this is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment.
4: Well, he's Spartacus, we're all Spartacus, (laughs) or we're not, (laughs) and neither is he. Welcome back to the program, Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, good friend, Alan West, Colonel, retired, and also a patriot, someone who served this country, and author of the new book, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. Colonel, welcome to the program.
6: Hey, Stacey, it's good to be with you, and thank you for your service as well.
4: You know, thank you so much for joining us today. I was so excited to get the note that you have this new book out, and thank you for the review copy. And so I always ask this question first, sir, why did you write this book?
6: Well, it's very simple. When you look at what is happening in the state of Texas, take, for example, you recently had people down uh, in Austin, the capital of Texas, saying that they wanted to look at renaming the, uh, the 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 capital of the state of Texas. Uh, tomorrow there will be a hearing at the uh, Texas uh, State Board of Education about removing the word heroic as it refers to the 183 men who made the stand at the Alamo back for those 13 days uh, between February and March uh, of 1836. So people always see Texas as this great, you know, impenetrable red state. But yet they fail to realize that every single major city in Texas, Texas except for Fort Worth, is controlled by the uh, by the Democrat Party. And look at this uh, Robert O'Rourke, the representative from out in El Paso, who was running for senator here in the state of Texas. He's a far left uh, Democrat, socialist, and no one would believe that a person like that would have a chance to run for uh, senator in Texas. But yet. He's very close to Senator Ted Cruz, Cruz and, and many of the polls. So there is an incredible demographic shift. There's an ideological shift that is happening here in Texas because people are coming here fleeing from failed progressive left states, namely uh, California, corporations and businesses are moving here. But yet they're still bringing that same failed ideology.
4: And, you know, sir, I've, I've, one of the things that I think is so interesting about that First of all, that you're writing this book about holding Texas, hold a nation, because Texas has an enormous amount of electoral college votes, a huge population. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Most people think of, you know, I was born in Texas, so it's cow cowboy boots, cowgirl boots. It's jeans, it's hardworking ranchers and Americans who just love America and really have that can do spirit, that attitude of kind of the pioneering West. But it's still there to this day. But when we look at California and Illinois and New York, they are losing population. And those people are moving to Texas because there's no property tax. There's, uh, you know, all of the taxes are so low there. It's basically move to Texas, make your own way. And people are loving that. But when they get there, they move to an urban population center and then they start doing the same stuff that brought about the impetus for them to leave Illinois and California and New York. Am I right?
6: No, you're absolutely right. And the whole thing is that the left has their eyes on Texas, not because of the economic growth and the success of the conservative policies here that have enabled that to happen. They have their eyes on Texas because Texas is the second you know, most populated state in the union with 38 electoral votes, so they'd love to be able to have those electoral votes and what you see is the the greatest export that is coming from California, Illinois, uh, New York, New Jersey, like you say, is this progressive socialist ideology. Remember that Colorado used to be a red state uh it shifted from purple and now it's a blue state. Why? Because of two dominant population centers, Denver and Boulder, that are controlled by the left. You see it happening in Arizona. You see it happening in Nevada. You see it happening in Mexico. When you look at the electoral map of the state of Washington, uh, the state of Washington, everything, all those counties are red except one major county, and that's King County, which is where you have Seattle and Tacoma, and that's your major population center. And so, again, one of the reasons for writing this book is, you know, we don't seem to have anyone at the Republican National Committee or wherever with a strategic perspective and a strategic mindset that are sitting back and looking at the schemes, the plans, the goals and objectives of the left and thinking about how do we, you know, first of all, inform people about it and how do we support it.
4: You know, you make a perfect point and I'm glad you said it because, you know, I've been I've been beating that drum and I don't think people listen when we talk about strategy here. uh, They had something called the blueprint from decades ago, which is a document Mm -hmm. that, that was turned into a book that is all about how liberals can spread their ideology. The only problem is, as you as you note, for the states that were red that are now blue, They also are experiencing population loss. And the reason that people are moving out, all these liberals running from the very stuff they voted for, is because the Democrats' policies really are garbage. And so what they do is they take their garbage can policies, spread it all around. Then when things start to fail, they pick up their garbage can, fill it up with some of the policies, and then take it someplace else that's really awesome and spread the garbage around there. And I know someone's going to send me some hate mail, but I don't care if Democratic policies work, then what's happening in, in Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago? Why are those cities failed with budgets that are busted and lots of crime and, and really sad school districts? They're run by Democrats, have been no. for decades. You,
6: you, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head, Stacey. And the only reason you'll be getting hate mail is because you're speaking truth to power and you are exposing the left and what they're doing. You know, they're going into Atlanta and and taking over there so that they can uh, dominate and dictate the politics of Georgia as well as North Carolina and also Tennessee. Look, Mm. the the electoral politics of the entire state of Virginia are controlled by two counties in northern Virginia. And and why is that? Because they're close to the, the seat of the federal government. But what you just described is what I call the locust effect. Where and 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 I think that everyone can can understand what I'm about to say is that locusts will go to a fertile area and they will chew it up and they will destroy it. and they will pick up and go and find another fertile area and what is their intent to destroy it. And so they just move from place to place and they eat up and chew, chew up you know that which is is promising and and fertile and green and and luscious uh... that's what the left is doing and it is kind that people call them out for the failure of their policies which if you want to look at it from a national perspective just look at what is going on in Venezuela. Uh and I love it how the left always says, Well they, they, they're not real socialists. Well, there's only one way to be a real socialist, and that's to believe in wealth redistribution, nationalizing economic production, mm-hmm. uh, expansion of a welfare nanny state, and this whole thing about social egalitarianism. You gotta make everybody equal. Everyone has it has to be all about fairness. So the fact that you are seeing this take uh, a, a foothold in your home, you know, birth state of Texas should be very alarming to people and that's mm-hmm. what the book is trying to do is to try to give that clarion call and use facts and figures and, and data analysis to show that Texas is successful because of policies. California is not successful and people are fleeing California and like you say, Illinois and other places because those policies are not successful.
4: And we're talking about and, and if you're just joining the show, welcome to the program. We're speaking with Colonel Alan West, he's an author Political pundit superstar, uh, just he's done he's done all the good things, people, and he's now written this book. One and he's written books before, but this is his latest book: "Hold Texas, Hold the Nation: Victory or Death" by Lieutenant Colonel Allen B. West, retired. He's talking to us about this phenomenon, the locust effect, which he's coined here on the program today. The, he's he's bringing this forward because we need to have a strategy to educate people because it's it's not that I. I have no problem with people who live in California realizing, wow, this stinks and then moving to some place that doesn't stink. I have no problem with that. My problem is when they arrive and they say, Well, well, these taxes are too low. Well, what do you mean? We I need someone to, you know, redistribute the, the money from these people over to these people and they start voting for that stuff. And then once they've ruined Texas, just like you said, they'll be mo- moving to Missouri, wherever they can move to where the housing stock is affordable and the schools are good and they can actually live, they'll move there, but then they bring those horrible policies with them. So when you talk about the RNC and, and having a plan, do you do you have something you'd like to see them do to specifically educate people on why this is not working for them, why they keep having to move and live somewhere else? It's because their ideas stink and they're bringing those with them?
6: Well, I think that's the most important thing is, is to have a dedicated information operation program that can educate people and say, okay, look at the demographic shift that has come out of New York. I mean, New York lost two congressional districts, and now Florida picked up uh, two congressional districts. But now, guess what you have? You have a Democrat socialist running for governor in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And we just need to tie all of the the you know connect all the dots that you see happening, and, and get people to to understand this, and get people to see, and show them the proof that you know there's a reason why the the, the Chicago is failing. Or if you look here inside the state of Texas and, and see that the Democrat leadership of, of uh, Dallas or mm-hmm. Austin or El Paso or San Antonio or Houston, they're really not strong and they're failing. But yet you look at a place, the only major population center of Texas that is led by Republican leadership and, and county, that's Tarrant County in Fort Worth. And and there's a big, you know, angst between Dallas Dallas County and Tarrant County and Fort Worth. There's a highway called 360, and the folks over there in Fort Worth and Tarrant County really don't want the folks from Dallas coming across 360 into Tarrant County. Why? Because they don't want, like we said, that locust effect to happen. The good thing about Texas, you have 254 counties. But the, the left are targeting, you know, 10 to 12 different counties. And you can look at the electoral map of the state of Texas. You can see exactly what they're targeting. And those are the major population centers. So what they believe is that eventually, if we control these urban centers, we control a, the large population growth, the rural areas won't mean any difference. And really, that's why they have such angst now against the Electoral College. Because they just want a pure democracy that's based on population control, and that's why they focus on these failing inner cities and urban centers.
4: And it's the reason why they're so pro-illegal immigration, because people who Mm -hmm. are liberals like myself, I was a liberal, my husband and I, and then... We started making some real money. We started our family. And the minute you have children and you're making any decent amount of money, you begin to realize that things you believed when you were younger and you didn't have any kids and you weren't really making any money, those things don't pan out well for a family of three or four where you're trying to make it. And maybe you want like I I wanted to stay home with our baby. And and I ended up doing that and raising our kids as a homemaker. But it was not something that democratic policies really help. It's actually Republican Party policies of lower taxation and less government involvement that were instrumental in me being able to do that. So I can work now. But the time that I needed to be home with those kids, I was able to do it because we were in Missouri, low tax state, low cost of living, you know, no sanctuary cities. All these different things play a role. Um, I want to give you the final word. I, I think it's important for us. When we're talking about this, you're talking about Texas and I, I love me some Texas. Bucky's, the you know, the gas station that's like a Walmart. I love everything oh, yeah. in Texas is bigger than everything else. It's a fantastic state and I really it would just be so heartbreaking to see it go blue. Just to see them just destroy all of that prosperity and freedom. And for what? Then once it's destroyed, they just move to some other states that are unsuspecting. The states are kind of like babies who are just sleeping in the cradle and then someone comes over and dumps the cradle over and, and kills the baby. It's like ridiculous what they're doing to people. We've got to be able to stop this. And and it starts with stopping Beto O'Rourke, who is not even Mexican or Hispanic at all. He's Irish. Um, yeah. It comes from stopping him from becoming a senator from the great state of Texas. Can it be done?
6: Well, Yeah, when you look at the polling for uh, Governor Abbott, who is also running uh, as well in this election cycle, he's up over uh, Lupe Valdez by 23 points. So that gives you uh, another idea of what is going on in the state of Texas statewide. You know, the the left, the media here in uh, Texas has done a very good job of, you know, being favorable to uh, Representative O'Rourke, whose nickname should be Bob and not Vito. Uh,
5: <laughs> and,
6: and they have there's not been any debates or, or anything. I mean, they pretty much so kept this guy, you know, on the wraps, because he stands for all of the policies that are the antithesis of what uh Texas is. I mean, here's a guy that wants open borders, he wants to abolish ICE, he wants higher taxation, he wants the redistribution of wealth. I mean, every single thing down the line, uh he he is not in concert with Texas values. But let me close by saying one of the things that we need to look out for coming up in the future, which is all about how you uh, fundamentally transform the United States of America. You know, we got a census coming up in 2020, and that's why control of state legislatures is so important, because the left wants to draw uh, congressional districts based upon population, not upon citizenship. And that is a very big ideological thing that we need to look at, which is why they want to flood more people in here at these sanctuary cities, because again, it's about controlling the United States of America and transforming it into something that is not a constitutional republic, but a a place where they can have a dominant ideology based upon population and numbers.
4: If you're not, if you're not, if you're not listening to this, you're not paying attention. Share the show, urbanfamilytalk.com. You can share this uh, this interview, and I encourage you to get the book. I put the link in all of the different streams that are going on, and um, it's "Hold Texas, Hold the Nation: Victory or Death." It's hardcover. It's out October 16th. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, thank you, sir, for joining us today.
6: My pleasure. Thank you, Stacy.
4: All right, talk to you again soon. Look, look you, you got the you got the info. You got to get the book, and you got to start talking to people. I think if we honestly just say, "Hey, why you moved here from California? Why are you voting Democrat?" that that's what that's what Texans have to do. We all have to do that. All right. You know what? When we get back, we're going to have more. Stay there.
7: Here's Steve Tiber.
0: Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country, after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16, read the FAQs, and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope.
7: Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com.
0: Abraham Hamilton
7: III.
1: God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his
0: ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to The Hamilton Quarter weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk.
4: So they asked me to enter my email address. And the next thing I know, I start getting emails from companies I never even knew existed. What's up with that?
3: Here at the American Family Association, you have our word that we won't give away, sell, or lease your email address to any other organization or company. We're thankful when you take the time to subscribe to AFA Action Alerts, One Million Moms, Engage Magazine, or any of our other online newsletters.
0: Donald Trump's America.
8: President Trump demands to know who is behind the New York Times op ed indicating a resistance to his leadership. Vice President Mike Pence on Fox News Sunday called on the writer to resign and face charges.
0: The president's concern is that this individual may have responsibilities in the area of national security. Also, the confirmation of
8: Judge Brett Kavanaugh moves on. Senate Judiciary Committee member Chris Coons of Delaware, a Democrat, said on Fox that the concerns he has... ...but have
2: a real impact on individual rights and liberties of Americans and on presidential power.
8: Republican Senator Lindsey Graham said on Fox's Sunday Morning Futures that the opposition to Kavanaugh seems
5: personal. This was an effort by the Democrats to respond to a base that's just really gone crazy with all things Trump.
8: Ahead this week, the President and First Lady traveled to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, for a 9-11 commemoration, remembering the heroes of Flight 93. Gernal Scott, Fox News.
0: You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and
7: Urban Family Talk. Well, we're digging them out one at a time and we're making a lot of progress. We did not waste the August recess. We interviewed a number uh, of uh, key witnesses, including Bruce Orr. Uh, and now we are proceeding to. Uh, get additional documents from the FBI and line up additional witnesses but I also agree uh, with those members who have called upon the president to declassify the documents that are necessary for the American people to see what was going on in 2016 and early 2017 regarding the disparate way the FBI handled these two major investigations one involving Hillary Clinton the other involving the Trump campaign uh and it, it truly is stunning we will persist uh to to uh through this congress uh i agree with leader mccarthy we're going to hold on to the house and we'll get to the truth of this matter uh, but it would also help greatly if the justice department would appoint a special counsel we've been calling for that uh for uh, over a year now
4: well i mean what can we do um we're waiting, and we're expecting that this week will be the week that the president will declassify uh, the information that he's discussing. There, it's uh, Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte. He's on Maria Bartiromo's Sunday program talking about just that. Um, I, I think we have to. We have to have that information out in the public sphere. Um, so I, you know, I would hope that that he would do that um, head over to my Twitter feed at Stacy on the right. If you'd like to have the link or you can just go to Amazon, go there directly and just type in Alan West's name and all of his books will come up and you can pre-order the book that he was just sharing with us about whole um, Texas. And I put a little hashtag on there on, on Twitter hold Texas. So we um, really appreciate um, having the listening audience and, you know, going, going out and being able to talk to people like Lieutenant Colonel Alan West retired. Uh, it's great great to have him on the program. So I told you that th- so we have two things to cover here in the last segment and we we'll, and we have time to take a call if if you would feel inclined uh, 866-963-2037 866-963-2037. So first off, first kind of big news is that President Trump promised to not only Send the agencies back out into the greater population. So instead of having all the agencies centrally located in Washington, D.C. and creating these two mega counties that are in Virginia that are packed with government workers pulling down these government salaries and really just liberalizing everything in their in their sight. He wants to take some of these agencies and put them closer to the people that they're ruling over so they are accountable, so they live in the community with the people they're telling you can't touch a puddle of water on your property. Well, if your neighbor has puddles of water on his property and he comes over and knocks on the door and says, hey, are you guys really considering a rule that says I don't own the puddles of water on my property, that that if I want to level off a part of my property that is collecting a little bit of water, stagnant water, that... That's somehow a violation of an EPA rule. What's going on with that? Come over here. Take a look at these. You tell me if these stagnant pools of water that are growing mosquitoes are of any value to the Environmental Protection Agency. That's what we need. So that's what he's talking about doing. But this is more good news because this is in addition to that. President Trump is keeping a campaign promise to reduce the size of the EPA. He spoke about dismantling the EPA, saying we're going to get rid of it in almost every form. We're going to have little tidbits of it left, but we're going to take a tremendous amount out. And that was a little bombastic. I guess see what he's going to do here. Um, Records show that in the first 18 months of the Trump administration, over 1,600 workers left the EPA. And out of those 1,600 vacancies, only 400 were filled. That's an 8% decrease in the agency's employment size. And just for... uh, you know, for, for comparison or, or to kind of bring it to scale in your mind. Um, a few years ago, I hadn't been to D.C. in, a, in a, a little bit. And when I say D.C., my parents and my sister live in uh, Springfield. So that's in Virginia. So I'm often, when, when my husband and I take the kids to visit my family, we'll, we'll often pop into D.C. But this was a trip that I took uh, to CPAC. And I was in a kind of a, it wasn't an Uber. I was in a town car going from um, where CPAC was to a location to do an interview. And it was downtown. And we turned onto the street where the EPA is located. And we were driving and driving and driving past it. And the building just kept on going. It's an ornate kind of gothic revival style building, like most of the buildings in Washington, D.C. It's beautiful. And as we were pulling past it, I asked the town car guy, I said, what is this building? It just goes on forever. Is this one block? He said, well, I guess you could say technically this is two blocks, but this particular block of the street here, it, this is just one long segment, and it is this building. This building is the whole of this side of, of uh, this block. And so he said, I can't remember what building this is. So we keep going, and now I, you know, I've got my phone down. I'm looking because I'm like, i got to know what this building is. We pull up basically halfway through this enormous building and it says environmental protection agency. So I look online and find out that there's like 15,000 employees. And I'm like, this is why they keep on raking us over the coals with the taxes. I wonder what these people are doing in there. Like, what are they doing in there? And I really feel like that's, Part of the reason we saw so many people who were interested in seeing Donald Trump come in, someone who wasn't a politician who could come in and do something about this. So they've got a quote here. EPA Acting Administrator Andrew Wheeler said that almost half of all agency employees will be eligible for retirement in the next five years. His priority is recruiting and maintaining the right staff, the right people for the mission rather than total full-time employees. Before leaving the position in July of 2018, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt anticipated that by not replacing officials retiring by 2021, the size of the agency could be reduced by 47,000, down 8,000 jobs from 15,000. Come on now. I can get behind that all day, every day. Um, so let's talk to uh, Ken in Ohio. Thanks so much for calling the show. Hey Stacy, uh thanks
0: for taking my call. Um Do you recognize this? Oh my lord, 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 lord.
4: I think so. That, that was
0: a song for Yeah, that was a song from Glory, the movie that portrayed the 54th Regiment from Massachusetts who went who were all black men, obtained their freedom, they were slaves that obtained their freedom. And we're now fighting on behalf of the North. And uh, in that scene in the movie glory, they're singing their death song. They're going to face death straight head on the next day. And uh, it is just a very moving scene. And for me, the reason why I wanted to call you is because as a white guy, I just don't see how I could ever be in that scene. I mean, These guys are telling their story. Lord, you're going to bring us to the judgment. You know, they got that deep Southern slave accent and uh, Morgan Freeman's in it and Denzel Washington. And uh, I I just, there's no way a white guy could be in that scene. And it just made me wonder uh, if it's not true that black guys in America, even godly good church going black guys in the end, Do they really still not have a special connection between each other, the descendants of slaves, something that even though a white guy might go to their church together and might even watch football games together, in the end there's just something special between black guys in America?
4: I don't know. Is there something special between white guys in America? Well... Uh, no, there's not. Because not no, all black no people have... in America are descended from slaves. So, I mean, there are plenty of blacks in America who are descended from slaves, but not all black men in America are descended from slaves. So if the unifying bond is slavery descendancy, then that would prevent all black guys from having that common background.
0: Well, let, let me ask it this way. My brother adopted a black boy. Uh, he's just a little kid when we got him. And He's grown up, and now he's the tallest, the fastest, the smartest, the funniest. The girls all love him. And uh, and in the midst of all that, I told a friend of mine, a guy that I met at work, a black guy, about this. And this guy said that my brother needs to get my black nephew introduced to his heritage. And I wonder, what is essential black heritage for a black guy to understand, uh, you know, to understand his correct place in the world and, and give him a, you know, a proper understanding of the people that look like him and, you know, just how would you do that?
4: Well, okay. So I'm probably not going to be good for this answer because my primary concern with your nephew would be whether or not he knows Jesus Christ, because in my opinion, the heritage that we all share here as Americans Is is first of all, it's rooted in for those of us who are descended from slaves. I am on one side of my family. I'm descended from slaves, and then for people, other people in my family, because I have some white people in my family, and so does my husband. And then, so if you're looking at that, we have a shared history. If your family has been here since the Civil War, then you and I are pretty much related as Americans because so much of my background is interwoven with that of white people. And so much of white people's background who've been here since the Civil War is interwoven with that of black people. So the fact that one of your relatives has adopted a black child is exactly as it should be. Someone who tells you that, that your nephew should connect with his black heritage doesn't actually honor the heritage of black Americans and white Americans in that we, as a nation are bound together by our shared history and slavery and that we are one nation under God, meaning that our primary focus should be on whether or not we're Christians. So I would say for your nephew, he's, he's making friends at school. He's choosing to be friends with whoever he's choosing to be friends with, regardless of their race or background or ethnicity, et cetera. And that if those friendships are good, productive friendships that help him to continue to shoot forward for his goals, and it sounds like, you know he's grown up well he he's intelligent he's a great kid wonderful personality that he will make friends as an adult based on those attributes and those character attributes as opposed to looking for people to be friends with because of a shared tan which the permanent tan is not as permanent as people think it is and it's it's really it's irrelevant the 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 fact that he just happens to be ethnically permanently tanned and the rest of your family is not. Um, I think it's it's a deception. It's it's a way that when you have that mindset, you let that creep into your interactions. So instead of it being about you, Ken and me, Stacy, it's you, Ken, a white guy, and me, a black woman. That's ludicrous. There's neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek. Christ is in all. It, it we we're one people. So the most important thing that I would be interested in is to know if, if your nephew's a Christian, if his parents are Christians and if they're walking that out. So yeah, that's, that's how I would answer that. I don't believe in that at all. I think whites and blacks can uh, adopt children of other races. And the, the, the main thing is why are they doing it? And if they're doing it, if they're raising the children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. <laughs> so I hope that answered your question. I'm, I'm, I think we, we get caught up in that, and you know what? It's because of the ideological bent that we see out there. We see the mantra, it's beaten into us. Well, white people believe this, white people believe this. Look at the nastiness that comes towards blacks um, for not voting for the Democrats. Why does that have to be nasty? If you, if you can vote for the Democrats, it seems that you would be able to in the same universe where you can not vote for them. So the same way you can vote for the Republicans, you can not vote for the Republicans. But not if you're black. Why? Because we're owned by the Democrats? Because we have to vote for the Democrats? Because we owe them something? They weren't even the ones who wanted to abolish slavery. They weren't the ones who wanted to desegregate the schools. You know, you got to watch those Dinesh D'Souza documentaries so you can understand what I'm talking about when I say the Democrats have never been on the right side of race. Never. They aren't today, and they never have been. The most racially motivated comments that have ever been leveled at me, the most ridiculous comments that have ever been uttered to me, the worst threats come from white liberals and black liberals. They'll say, they start off by basically telling me, that I'm, I, I deserve to die because I don't vote for the Democrats and I don't know who I am and I hate myself and I hate black people. And then they launch off into the worst kinds of threats and violence that, that you can print. They type that stuff up. I've had one guy type it up on his work email. And when I called and asked for a comment for one of the publications that I write for, an official comment, You better believe their risk management team got that guy in a room and he called me and apologized because he didn't want me to publish that email. But if he hadn't sent it from his work address, he would have stood by those comments, those hateful, bigoted comments towards me because I'm black and I don't have the right to think or vote for myself, according to liberals. Think about that for a second. All right. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless. Have a great night.